Doug Pollock is the author of God Space and is also, he's worked with athletes in action, equipping people all across the country and beyond this country to be effective in sharing our faith. And that's going to be our focus this morning. We're going to be having, he's going to be leading us in a couple of kind of lengthy equipping sessions with a uh, break in between. And uh, Doug, the one thing that I want to make sure that we get a chance to do, I know um, as somebody involved in sports a lot, um, my guess is somewhere along the, the way you may have experienced a concussion. I know I did play in soccer growing up. And, um, and the reason I say that is just because I notice you cross state lines, uh, but you, your attire is, I don't know if you, did any of you happen to see what Doug's wearing this morning? An Ohio State vest. <laughs> so, so we will. Um, I mean, I, my dad played for Woody Hayes. I grew up going to Ohio State games, but you know, um, you're in different territory. <laughs> so, <laughs> so giving Doug the benefit of the doubt for however many concussions he may have had playing sports growing up. Uh, we want to just put things right this morning and, uh, and properly attire Doug for the rest of the morning. So, Doug, we're delighted you're here, and we can't wait. This is going to be an awesome morning. So let's continue our worship, and as we worship, let's give ourselves back to God and open our hearts for what he's got for us this morning. Wow, I have to tell you, of all the introductions we had all over the world, that was certainly most, one of the most unique and interesting introductions I've ever had, and it completely left me dumbfounded because this week I actually uh, was spending some time with three friends of yours um, who, who, who told me, hey, Doug, please extend our greetings when you show up. And so uh, Steve and Amy Kirk, you know, they were on staff here at one time. Uh, Jim and Brenda Dunn and Tim Dahmer. And here's what they said about you guys. They said, that church loved us so well. And I'm sitting there thinking about those comments as I was introduced today, and I'm going like, I don't know, I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of love for me this morning. <laughs> I'm almost thinking they put you up to that, David. I don't know, maybe. But uh, here this morning, um, I'm excited to be here, and I believe the great need of the hour as we gather here this morning, is to do this. Uh, you know, in a culture that just seems more increasingly polarized, we've been taught, you know, you're not supposed to talk about politics and religion in public, and yet these subjects are so very important, and especially our faith. And I'm finding that what's happening around the world is Christians um, many times just lack confidence and competence when it comes to actually doing this. And uh, feel like that, and many times uh, uh, they really can't get out of this box. Maybe some of you um, know what it feels like on campus if you work at Purdue to be in this box. And when I travel and, and go on to college campuses, I'll ask college students many times this question. Hey, what first, what's the first word that pops into your head when you hear the word Christian? And I would like to tell you, for those of you who are older, I know what you'd probably say. Hey, when, when I was growing up, it was loving, kind, gracious, merciful. But today, unfortunately, a lot of times when I ask people this question, these are the words I actually hear. Judgmental, 
narrow-minded, holier-than-thou, anti-intellectual, condescending, homophobic, hypocritical, and intolerant. Hey, David, by the way, thanks for inviting me to speak to such a group of people here today. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> now, I know you don't come here this morning perceiving yourself to be uh, that kind of people, you know, but let's be honest about something. People who are outside the church, their perception of us is their reality. And if we want to have conversations with them, we've somehow got to get out of this box because really who wants to talk to somebody who kind of represents what those words are all about? So this morning we're going to dive into this and I uh, would hope this morning that maybe your view of worship gets expanded a little. I think sometimes in the churches I go into, worship seems to have this connotation. It's the thing we do the first 20 minutes or 30 minutes of the service is when we're singing songs. But the word worship actually means to ascribe worth to God. And for a lot of ladies who are in the audience today, you know what it's like when your husband cherishes you publicly. It just makes it, it, I just see what it does to women or to my wife when I do that. I think in many ways what we're talking about and what we're here to do today is how can we cherish Jesus publicly in such a way that we actually are bringing honor and worshiping and we're ascribing worth to him. And so I just love the fact that your pastor has been willing to do something that's really out of the box, combine two services into one, that we might spend time here this new year, this first Sunday in the new year, talking about how can we cherish Jesus just a little better in this new year so that we might engage people in conversations that have eternal significance. Before we start our time here this morning, uh, I'd like to drop uh, what I'm going to call a holy hint on you. I think you'll get it here after you watch this. Here we go. We are gathered here today to pay our respects to someone who was dear to so many of us, just as the Israelites wandered through the valley in search of bountiful pasture. Ah! Hey, man. Nah, I can talk. Cell phone, Carl. It's real. <laughs> if you happen to be packing one of those things this morning, if you could put it on stun or whatever it is you do so that it doesn't go off in the middle of our service, that'd be awesome. But hey, this morning I'm actually going to ask you to do something that may seem a little unusual in church. I'm going to ask you to keep it out because what I found as I speak all over the world is a lot of people feel like I speak a little too fast, and so they're like, Doug, slow down, I want to get some notes. I mean, that was good stuff. And so what they've started to do in a lot of the audiences I speak in, they'll actually pull out their cell phone and take a picture of the slide. And I would invite you to do that this morning. It, I would like to think that there's at least one slide here that has been created that has your name on it. It's something God wants you to hear. It's something God wants you to feast on in your mind, and you want to capture that nugget just pull your, your phone out and take a picture of the slide, and, and we can move on. Now, um, this morning to kind of talk about expectations so that we know kind of where we're going, what you can expect during our time together, you know, I thought, I'm going to a university town. I just need to, to offer lots of tests here today. <laughs> and you might wonder why, and, and actually I would hold my father-in-law responsible for this because... One day, and he really loved the Lord, we, we talked lots about mission, and 
He said, he said this to me one day, and it just really caught me and cocked my head. He said, Doug, can you think of any other institution other than the church that regularly dispenses large sums of information but never gives any tests? And I started thinking about it. I've been in the church for, you know, 60 years of my life, and I'm going, I don't ever remember having a test. I mean, how do you know if you're getting an A, B, or C, or D, you know, in terms of following Jesus? You know, how are you doing? You can sit in the church for 40 years and really, you know, not know how you're doing. And so this morning, I'm going to give you lots of tests to give you an opportunity to kind of hold your life up to some standards, some benchmarks that I think the scripture uplifts, so you can kind of see how you're doing and following the Jesus of the Bible. I'm also going to offer you opportunities to, to worship out loud, not in terms of singing, but to express what maybe the Holy Spirit is impressing on you. So here's the way we're going to do that. It's going to be short and quick. It's going to feel like, uh, if you've ever heard about this in New York City, it's going to feel like speed dating. Uh, because you're going to have a, a short conversation with the person next to you. But I'm going to ask you at different times to turn to your neighbor and say, hey, uh, what's the one big thing that uh, you're thinking as you watch this video or it's being stirred up in you as you uh, ponder some of the things that I'm talking about? And I would just invite you to express what's going on inside of you because I ultimately believe the Holy Spirit is the teacher here today. And if he is, then I believe he might be working and doing something in you that your neighbor might need to hear. Uh, and, and he's prepared all that in advance. So I would invite you just to participate when you're given those kind of opportunities. You're also going to find this morning, I'm going to give you lots of what I call faith adventure challenges. As you step into 2019 with New Year's resolutions, these are challenges that I think you'll find are practical, doable, and natural ways to help you increase the quantity and the quality of your spiritual conversations in 2019. And so I'd like you to, you know, consider them, jot them down, think about, hey, how could I roll this out into my life here in the new year? Well, there's some of the expectations for this morning. Now you might wonder, what just happened? Well, let me tell you what just happened. I find that when I give Christians an opportunity to start talking amongst themselves, I almost need like a full-time bouncer to get you back together again. So when you hear that sound, that kind of indicates, hey, the time for expressing what's being impressed is kind of over, and when the train is moving, it's leaving the station, it's time to come back up here, we're getting ready to go somewhere. All right, when you hear that. I'm excited to be here to speak to God's post office in West Lafayette here. And uh, you maybe have never seen the church this, in this light before. And some of you who were singing that song before Christmas, you know, uh, that you were, you know, hoping for a white Christmas, dreaming of a white Christmas, well, I decided to provide it for you this morning right here on the screen. I look at the church really as being God's post office that we would gather here on Sunday so that we could be equipped to do the works of the ministry so that we could be sent out to scatter Monday through Saturday. That's God's intention for his church. And so in a very real way, uh, while this might seem like a weird service to you just because it's so long and it's not like their traditional service, 
I think in terms of God's mandate for his church, it actually fits quite nicely into this whole idea of equipping the saints to go do the work of the ministry. And, and that means that you would take seriously the idea of leaving this building and this week saying, hey, I'm the church, and, and you're the church, and you're the church, and all of us who have, who have surrendered to Jesus Christ, we are the church, we're the living stones, and we are gathered here today so that we can be equipped and sent out to be the church this week in the different places that we find ourselves. Now, I believe everybody has a route. And uh, the, our route is where the rhythm of our day-to-day -day life naturally causes us to cross the path of those who are outside the faith, but they're inside our reach. If I hung out with you for, let's say, a week, at the end of the week, I can tell you probably where your route is. It, it's... It's the neighborhood you live in. It's where you work out. It's where you recreate. It's where you shop. It's where you work. It's the people that you work with. In other words, all of us have rhythms of our life that naturally cause us to cross the path of those who are presently not yet Christians. And God's intention would be that as we're on our route, our day-to-day -day route, that we would be talking to him about how to deliver his mail to the people on our route. You say, well, where do you get these ideas from? Well, actually from the Bible. Uh, in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus spoke these words, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Church, this morning, can you receive that? Have you ever seen yourself this morning as God's sent one. That you each have a unique and individual route and God's intention and his purpose as you, a follower of Christ, would be that you'd be his mailman to take his never-changing message to an ever-changing world. That you would show up on your route ready to deliver his mail. The Apostle Paul certainly got this idea. Uh, he he uh, penned these words under the inspiration of the Spirit in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He said this, so here's that word again. So we have been sent to speak for Christ. It is like God is calling to people through us. Now, I'm just curious this morning, and I don't know you guys. I just rolled into town last night. But uh, as you think about this, and maybe some of you have attempted to deliver God's mail, how many of you have ever had this experience? where you feel like uh, the mail got returned to sender. Anybody feel like that here this morning? Well, I think there are lots of reasons for that today, and uh, I'd like to just touch on a couple real quickly. Um, the first one, the reason I think that sometimes our mail, this good news that we have, gets returned to sender, is because we haven't maybe spent time determining someone's spiritual address. Did you know that, that everyone has a spiritual address? Everyone is living somewhere in relationship to God. And sometimes um, we don't understand that people even change spiritual zip codes. And uh, in this next slide here, um, I would say that in the world that I've grown up in, I've watched the culture change that uh, I grew up and was trained as a Christian worker uh, to be the guy on the left. I was trained in a world that uh, uh, it was just 
the focus was on telling and seeking to be understood. I was trained to give gospel presentations and provide answers. I traveled with Josh McDowell. I was one of his interns. I was trained in apologetics. And so um, to me, as I was out there trying to deliver God's mail, uh, I was doing a lot of the stuff on the left. I think today, as we are moving more and more towards a post-Christian culture, we need to completely train and equip people. It's not like the things on the left aren't important anymore. Yeah, we still need to be ready to tell. We still need to be ready to give answers for the hope that is within us. But have you noticed that not that many people are showing up at our churches and asking us for those answers? Have you noticed that um, it seems like less and less people are coming to the things that we're trying to get them to come to and that maybe we need to spend more time going to them and, 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 and putting the focus on where they're living, that we need to spend more time on listening and seeking to understand them and focus more on dialogues. And, and, and. So uh, I've learned that uh, the zip code has kind of changed and I, the conversation has to start in a different place. There's another reason why I think our mail gets returned to sender. And for those of you who've started reading my book in Godspace in chapter 2, uh, there's a chapter which, which I call uh, The Ten Spiritual Conversation Killers. David could have introduced me this way this morning. All the way from Cincinnati, Ohio, we have this morning a recovering evangelist. And I could have stepped, stepped up here and said, hi, my name is Doug, and you would have all said, now I feel welcome. My recovery started when I realized that I was frequently doing things out of a good heart. My intentions were, were good, but I was blind to how I was coming across to people outside the faith. And so if, if you feel like the mail is being returned to sender a lot when you're attempting to present it, you might want to go straight to chapter 2 and read that chapter because it very well could be possible that you might be blind to how you're coming across to those people you're delivering the mail to. The third reason I think our mail often gets returned to sender is that I think in the 20th century, the church primarily focused on playing home games. And we utilized what I would call a come and see strategy. Because Christianity was a dominant worldview, you know, we could, we could put, up, put on events and invite people to come to our thing where our stage was on the stage and our music was being played. That's what a home game is. You know, you've been, if you've been to the Purdue football games, uh, you know what it's like to show up there in the right colors and root for your team. The home games are comfortable. But hear me this morning. Hear me very carefully. The day of home games is just about over almost everywhere in the United States. We must, as a body of Christ, if we want to engage this ever-changing world with the good news of the gospel, we must learn how to play more away games. And you all know what that's like when you go to this place, don't you? It's a whole different world. You show up there and there's different colors and there's people you know, railing against you and that's kind of the world we've moved into in a post-Christian culture. And we've got to get more comfortable and understand how to, to play more away games. And if we're going to do that, I think we need 
probably the spirit found in this passage in Colossians 4, 5, which says we should be wise in the way we act towards those who are outside the Christian faith and make the most of our opportunities. What would that look like? When I think of somebody who embodies this um, mentality, I think of Dr. Ravi Zacharias. Uh, maybe some of you listen to him on the radio, if you listen to him speak. We were sharing a platform together somewhere in a conference, and uh, before I got up to speak, I heard him say this, and I loved it so much, I just like, boom, I'm copying that one down, and I'm tucking it away. He said, today we have to find the back door into people's hearts because the front door is heavily guarded. How many of you, did, does that resonate with you here in the Lafayette, West Lafayette area? You feel like that's true here? Pretty much, okay. Um, well, um, <laughs> I, I, David didn't know this, but he really set me up this morning, and um, so I got to run with it, you know? I mean, he's got to go with this. Um, and before we get going, I, I might as yeah, yeah, got to put the hat on. There we go. <laughs> I want you guys to know, I don't know if this causes you to feel bad or not, but you were the team that kept the Big Ten representative, the only chance to be in the, in the playoffs. It was your fault. Which, if you understand what that means, that, meant, that means you opened the door for Notre Dame to play in that and not us. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe it just felt so good to beat my Buckeyes that you could care less this morning. And... <laughs> I was just hoping this morning if I wore this, you know, it would be an opportunity to see if you were truly a lover of sinners, you know? I... <laughs> But you know, uh, being that we're still in football season and the big game's tomorrow night to end the college season, you know what happens to start the game, right? The, the captains show up at midfield, the coin is tossed, uh, one team wins, one team loses the, the coin toss, and there's decisions made about who's going to kick off. The game doesn't actually start, though, until the ball is in the air and one team catches it. The, ball, the, the game starts where you catch the ball in the field, not where you'd like to catch it. And let me say, I do think there's a real parallel between that and you and I engaging this ever-changing world, that we have to start where people are in relationship to God. Their spiritual zip code, where they're living spiritually, we've got to start where they are, not where we'd like them to be. So um, let's get real with this. Let's talk about what that could look like. Uh, there are some people, and, and you probably have some of these people in your life, how many of you have somebody in your life right now who is a long, long way away from God? They're way back towards the other end zone. They're very resistant to the claims of Christianity. You got somebody in your life like that? Okay. How would you engage them? And if you would, move the ball. Let me suggest to you, these people usually are not looking for our sermons. They're not interested in things we have, answers that we have to share with them. So how do we engage them? Or how about somebody who's apathetic and they're kind of like, hey, if that's your thing, that's fine for you. Just don't push it onto me. Or how about somebody who maybe has crossed midfield and they're curious or interested? One of the biggest mistakes we make as Christians is when someone shows just a little bit of interest, we tend to oversupply and kill the demand. Or how about if somebody were actually in the red zone, inside the 20-yard line, and they were actually wanting to know, how can I become a Christian? Do you feel like you'd know how to help them cross the goal line of faith, so to speak? Now, you know, and if you're a Buckeye fan, 
And I don't sense there are many of you here today, but just in case there are, I just kind of want to give a shout out. OH, there are a few of you here. Thank you for standing up. I'm telling you, I gave this message in Michigan one time. They about ran me out of town. <laughs> Their coach up there, he's, he's just suffering. He just can't beat us. So you guys did something that Harbaugh hasn't been able to do yet. But, you know, uh, that sound is an indication that the Buckeyes just put more points on the board. And obviously, we didn't do an, enough of that when we played you guys. You just, you just literally stomped us. But, you know, good football teams and the team that will play in the Super Bowl and the two teams that are playing tomorrow night, you know, you can look back through the season and see some outstanding plays, some really big-time plays. But mostly what you'd see if you studied a good football team is a team that's committed to first downs and sustained drives. That you've got to start where you get the ball and you've got to move the ball down the field. And I don't think I'm playing loose with the scriptures here to say, doesn't the Bible say there's a time and a season to, to plow the field, to, to till the soil, to prepare the soil, to plant the seed, to water the seed, to nurture the seed? and then eventually to harvest. Here's my fear as I travel around the world, that, that too much of evangelical Christianity has spent so much of its time and energy and money on the red zone kind of evangelism, on the end game, on helping people cross the goal line of faith, that we aren't engaging people where they are, and so we're seeing less and less results because there are less and less people inside the 20 because we're not holistic in our mindset. We're not bringing the whole gospel to the whole person, and we're not being mindful of the whole process. God is crazy about the whole process. Whether you sow a seed, nurture a seed, water a seed, I think God's crazy about it all. And I think just in the same way fans go crazy when their team scores a touchdown, doesn't the Bible say when somebody once was far from God comes near that the angels in heaven rejoice? But I think they're also rejoicing when a seed gets planted because they know that someone's not going to come to Christ apart from a seed being planted and being nurtured and being watered. That they're, they're, they're watching the whole process and, and they're crazy about it all. Well, let me share a story with you from a friend of mine. And uh, as soon as the story's over, I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and... Um, I'm going to ask you this question. What did or didn't he do in this story to deliver God's mail? So this is your first opportunity to kind of express what you kind of feel and think about as you watch this. So here we go. I met a woman named Fiona. And outside of my daughters and my wife, I look back and uh, this woman probably had the most influence on my life of anybody ever. And uh, Fiona was a waitress. And uh, after the first evening, she asked us why we came back. We said, well, we're doing some training. And um, she said, well, uh, who are you training? What are you, what are you doing? And, uh, and so I said, uh, Fiona, we're here training leaders. And she said, so uh, what type of leaders? Um, I said, well, nonprofit leaders. And she kept pushing it. Eventually I said, Fiona, look, here's the deal. We're here training pastors how to start new churches. And uh, her whole face changed, and she looked almost angry, and she said, so why would you help people start new churches? 
And I said, I catch a little attitude there. Is there something that has happened to you with church? And uh, she went on to basically uh, tell me about her experience growing up in uh, Belfast, Ireland, about her two friends that had been killed in Protestant Catholic uh, skirmishes. She, uh, uh, I heard later that in her era of growing up in the Catholic Church, a third of all the kids that went through the school system in Ireland were sexually abused uh, in the Catholic system. And so she just began to kind of spill a lot of venom. Um, and so then she posed the question again, so why would you help people start more churches? And I, I knew I couldn't talk to her about church. I knew I couldn't talk to her about Bible verses. I couldn't drop some four spiritual laws on her. So I said uh, something like this. I said, Fiona, that's kind of why we're trying to help pastors rethink church. Um, because we, we believe that Jesus coming to earth uh, was essentially about getting rid of, removing, fighting, changing everything that you've hated about religion. In fact, I said Jesus probably was, would have been the most non-religious person you'd ever met. And so I think churches should be completely different than maybe what, you, what you've expected it could be. And so I started to just talk about the kingdom to her. And strangely, she seemed interested in that. And uh, the second night, we came back. And when we sat down, uh, she said, so tell me a little bit more about the kingdom. And I said, again, the kingdom is something that Jesus came to bring in that's uh, like an alternative way of living. You don't have to live the way the rest of the world lives. And uh, it has nothing to do with religion or church. Um, although sometimes it, it's very tied to that. And I tried to help separate ideas of the kingdom from her idea of institutional church. And she seemed like she was really sort of buying it. And uh, a couple more nights went by and the rest of our staff flew home. And I had the evening free and uh, I was about to go to bed, but I decided I think I'm gonna go say goodbye to Fiona. And so I walked into this uh, restaurant. It was very loud, uh, crazy environment because the Yankees were in the playoffs. And over all that noise, I heard Fiona's voice and I heard her say, that's the dude. That's the guy I was telling you about. You've got to hear how he talks about God. And it seems strange to me. I'd never got that response in a church before, but the, the restaurant split and people just stood there and then she gathered a bunch of her friends around uh, this one table and she said, tell them, tell them that, stuff you were, that stuff about the kingdom. And so I started to tell them about the kingdom, some things that I had read from, the, from really the words of Jesus. And I noticed that every one of her friends, there's about 15 of them, all were very interested in the kingdom. Before you turn to your neighbor, I don't want you to miss the obvious here, this was an away game. He was outnumbered. Fiona was in her world with her friends. And yet he did and didn't do some things that created the possibility for Fiona, think about this, to risk her relational capital with 15 of her friends. I mean, she was hanging out there large to introduce them to somebody who was going to talk to them about God. But he did something in the conversations previously that gave her the confidence that if, if she did that, that he was actually going to respectfully engage her friends in a way that they'd find attractive. In the spirit of Paul Harvey, let me tell you the rest of the story. Before that night ended, not only did he share the gospel with her 15 friends, he stayed to help Fiona and all of her peers that were working there at the restaurant. Uh, he bussed tables, he, he, you know, he's back in the kitchen washing dishes, and he eventually got to share the gospel with everyone in the whole restaurant that worked there. He rolled out of there at four in the morning, and he was so full of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus, 
And he called his wife and he said, oh, I can't even, words can't describe how my heart is overfilled with great joy. Because he realized that God had opened up the door for him to, to share the never-changing message of the gospel with these people who are not yet Christians. So talk with your neighbor. What do you think he did or what he, didn't he do in this story to create the God space that we're going to talk about in a moment in this story? Go for it. <laughs> 